Hello, everybody. Welcome back to PodCanna episode 16. This week, we're joined by Specimen to talk constructed gameplay, spoilers, and some of the interesting information coming out from Frank Carson, actually, on the hypergeometric calculation on cards to put in the deck, just breaking down sort of the fundamentals of card games um, and how it relates to Lorcana as Lorcana sort of matures and we get better at deck building, better constructed gameplay. Anyway, Specimen, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, and I just want to set a foundation for the people listening um, that might not know who you are and just get a quick background on yourself. Yes, mate. Well, thanks for thanks for having me. So my name's Specimen or Speci. Um, I've been playing Lorcana for the last two or three weeks since the game came out. I like ordered a box ahead of time. Mainly, I have been playing on Pixelborn, but also played a little bit in person. I was lucky enough to meet Kawa actually at the Gamescom booth. Picked up a few goofies as well, so that's pretty nice. Uh, my current game history is I did Gwent, and I was like a full-time streamer and commentator analyst for Gwent. And then I more recently moved on to Marvel Snap. And uh, yeah, checking out Lorcana as my first physical card game. Was pretty interested in it because it's Disney, you know, big potential. But I've just been really impressed overall by the gameplay and the deck building side of things. So deck building is definitely my passion. And uh, yeah, it's exciting that with Lorcana, there's like 200 cards every few months to try and dig into, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's super interesting because I think one of the critiques you can make about other physical TCGs is the cadence of sets. Obviously, this doesn't relate to Magic. Magic is probably on the extreme end where... You know, they're getting to a point of product fatigue. But, you know, in a game like a Flesh and Blood, and we can go sometimes, you know, four, five, six months without a set and maybe a year without a draftable set, a limited set to sort of engage with. And, you know, you can, there's definitely lulls, you know, there's peaks and valleys there. And Lorcana came out the gate with sort of, you know, we're going to have this frequent uh, cadence of sets and we're going to be, you know, getting you content quick. And we already see that with spoilers coming out um, just as we've got our hands sort of on the first set here. You know, you said you're a, a passionate deck builder. I want to get your thoughts on the current constructed meta in Lorcana. Like you said, you've been playing a bit of Pixelborn. Where do you sort of see the meta lying right now? What do you view as the top decks in the game? Yeah, so I mean, when I first started playing, obviously people have been playing on Pixelborn for quite a few weeks or months before the cards were actually out. When I opened my booster packs on the day of release, I didn't know really what most of the cards did. So uh, maybe a little bit later to the party, but I've been playing so much that I feel like quite up to speed. When I first started playing, it was all about Amethyst and Ruby Control. Everyone was really just saying, this is the best deck in the game. Um, and I found quite a lot of success then playing like a lot of aggressive aggro decks and found a lot of success beating that. So I really focused on Amber because I was lucky enough to pull three Rapunzels. That's right, three. Crazy. I know, out of, out of my first 24 packs or so, maybe 30 packs. So um, I, I've gone down the Amber route, tried it with everything, and I really, really loved Amber and Amethyst combo. The big problem with that deck is Steel is just absolutely destroying you. It's like not impossible to beat Steel, but if they draw well, it feels like it's kind of just the perfect counter, right? So um, I was a big like control, Ruby and Amethyst, the top. And then I was like, well, if aggro can beat it, then that's great. But then it's turned out to be like this Amber and Steel kind of mid-range deck, which still has the aggro potential, but it is, you know, got the mix of Steel, which just shuts down all the other aggro decks pretty hard. And uh, you're still quick enough most of the time to be beating Ruby and Amethyst. And that is the best deck in my opinion, but I don't have that much experience playing uh, a lot of the top meta decks. I've really just... Been playing my own thing, to be fair, and enjoying Amber a lot. Like Amber with Amethyst, I think you can get super aggressive. It just dies to steal. Amber and Emerald is pretty solid. And you've got Amber and Blue, which I think has a lot of potential, or Sapphire. It's mainly just like Amber, Ruby, 
uh, which is the one that I really didn't have too much joy with. Mm. That's the uh, princess deck. That's the only that's the only amber ruby deck that I've tried, which is pretty decent. But there's a lot of decks that just seem to be kind of doing better things than that in my experience so far. Yeah. Yeah, I think if we look at the color combination of amber steel, just archetypically, it is it it covers a lot of bases, right? So you have amber, which is just this. It's a really interesting color because it is both. It has you know the cards have a lot of value inherently. I think on the stats, um, and it has a lot of modality. But then it has a ridiculous amount of card draw, which is why it's able to compete with these control decks. Uh, you pair that with steel, which has just massive board presence, and obviously a card like Tinkerbell, which is able to you know. I mean, steel is basically built to to control the board. It has access to cards like beast tech cards that can be inked. You know, that can destroy items. It just feels like that color combination is able to cover sort of a lot of the bases that you might be presented with in the metagame um and i do think that that deck specifically the mid-range deck um and there's a lot of different ways to build it you know people <clears throat> people build it with stitch rockstar stitch surfer etc but the fundamentals is you have ariel with the songs um you pair with their removal and steel it just feels like it absolutely dunks on aggro. I mean, aggro feels when I play that deck, it feels like aggro has absolutely no chance. Um, you know, obviously there are some draws that can beat it, but overall, it just feels like the most powerful thing you can be doing. That being said, I do think that Amber Steel has a, I think it has an unfavorable matchup into Ruby Amethyst. I think that it can, it can, it can win, but I do think that that control matchup is a bit rough, and you have to find very specific cards to be able to add value to them. Because once you get past that, you know. Six seven ink curve. It seems like you know if they drop the magic mirror, you don't have the removal. They just outvalue over the long term, especially with be prepared and stuff. Just wondering, sort of your your thoughts on that deck and how it covers. You know, it covers the um, the different aspects of the metagame. Is that what makes it the best deck? Is because its matchup spread is so strong. Yeah, I think so. Like I, I just I'm a big believer in in aggro decks uh, genuinely uh, generally because of how popular this control deck is, the, the Ruby Amethyst deck. Uh, and it's very slow, right? So if you can be aggressive and beat it, and Amber can do that very, very well. But then when you're uh, combining it with Steel, you've still got a decent amount of aggression. Admittedly, you're going to be really relying on drawing like a Lilo and a Simba against um, like Ruby and, uh, and Amethyst. That's going to help you there to just get that quick questing. Um, but the fact that you can just wipe the board against so many other aggro decks right like any other aggro deck apart from steel if you're going second and you're in an aggro mirror it is so difficult because you're just one step behind your opponent they're kind of winning the race you're just qu both questing and take it in turns cards like rafiki can maybe help you where you've got like that rush to try and even the playing field but generally aggro mirrors whoever goes first has a huge advantage but if you're playing steel you don't really care if you're going first or second if you're playing against another somewhat aggressive player uh, because that tinkerbell grab your sword, can just clear the board very, very quickly and efficiently. And a lot of the aggressive decks as well, they tend to be so aggressive that they don't have an abundance of card draw necessarily. Like a card in hand is a potential resource on the board, right? So they often end up with near empty hands by the end of the game. Um, and so steel like wiping the board, not only is it wiping the board now, but it's also they're really going to be short on resources in hand to replace those cards lost. So I think that's why steel uh, amber is so good because it's still aggressive enough to be beating the control deck often enough uh, and it just shuts down like the other aggressive decks which like emerald and amber especially are very very aggressive ink colors 
Yeah. One thing that's interesting about the current state of Pixelborn um, is I do think it's very much dominated by that Amber Steel combination. A lot of people are playing that deck specifically because I think that that deck is fundamentally a mid-range deck that has sort of this aggressive package in it. And you're able to finish games quickly but not take an auto loss to you know something like the control deck. I do think that if you went to a in-paper local tournament or um, you know an in-paper tournament away from locals right you know thousand dollar or case uh sort of a case case to the winner you know a competitive tournament at that i do think you would face a lot more ruby amethyst than you would on ladder ruby amethyst is just not a good deck for ladder because you're dragging yourself into 30 plus minute games almost no matter what and i think people avoid that in order to try to progress through the ranks you know it's not the it's not the best deck to be playing there in terms of efficiency so i wonder you know if the the meta that you would encounter in person would not be exactly representative of what you might see on the Pixelborn ladder. Spessy, I believe you are preparing for an upcoming tournament. Is it this 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 weekend? Yeah, I mean, to say I'm preparing would be <laughs> selling me massively over. I'm I'm going to begin to prepare probably later on. Uh, but yeah, not preparing just yet. I mean, I'm pretty confident I've been playing a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, the thing is, I don't have any decks which are complete. Right? I don't want to buy any singles. I've, I've opened a couple of sets of booster boxes probably around like 50 packs now and that's kind of where i'm done uh, i will sell some singles but i'm hoping maybe uh, as i go down i've got to travel quite a distance to get to the tournament but i can maybe do some trades beforehand and then just patch something together um like i said i've got a bunch of rapunzel so i'm definitely looking at amber most likely i'll go amber steel with just some kind of like patch together decks i have a few aerials too uh, but it's certainly not going to be like the optimized list but i also could be tempted into going down like a an amethyst and amber aggro decks i do love that but i just don't want to like lose as soon as i queue into steel because of how popular steel is right it really is restricting i think that kind of aggressive deck mm -hmm. yeah one thing i want to uh, touch on is uh since we know that this kind of amber steel deck is just so good at uh most matchups right uh one deck that uh, I'm, I'm sure we can touch on in a future episode that i really want to point out is uh this Steel Emerald deck that uh, I actually went over to Manchester last weekend, played a bunch of games in person with Raven, and uh, he brought this deck out. It does a lot of similar things to the Amber Steel list. Uh, doesn't have as much card draw. The only card draw aspect it has is a whole new world, which can drastically change the game. I think like we did a few 1v1 matchups where I was playing the Ruby Amethyst list, and you know I was holding my Be Prepared, trying to wait until he got kind of a wide board. Whole new world most of your removal is gone, right? If it's your Maleficent, if it's your Maleficence, your Dragonfire is your Be Prepareds. Uh, and it does really well in terms of having aggressively uh, statted cards with like a lot of lore. Like for example, uh, Flynn Rider, mm -hmm. Cheshire Cat, the four cost hands with three lore. So I think that's a deck that probably does something quite similar to Amber Steel. Uh, Amber Steel, yes, because of Ariel and stuff like that, you get such consistent card draw and it's, it's, it's just incredibly, incredibly good. Uh, but since it does have that steel side, right, you you still have the Tinker Belt, you still have the Beast. The Beast does so much against that uh, Ruby Amethyst control list. So that's one list that I was genuinely surprised about. Like you play some genies in there to, to, to just like bounce mm -hmm. some stuff back, right? Um, so that's a list that I can see maybe becoming popular in the future or like you can kind of iterate upon it. So basically anything with steel, it, it seems like you could, you could actually kind of do it, right? Because steel has the kind of controlling aspect. You throw in a bit of like aggro to it as well. 
you can definitely do something. Do either of you guys have any experience playing this uh, evasive deck that I believe, Brendan, you mentioned last week? It's Ruby Emerald. I know a few people yeah. were playing it on ladder. Have you seen much of it, Brendan? Yeah, it's it's pretty much garbage now because Amber oh. Steel is the best deck. I mean, so when when Ruby Amethyst was the best deck, this hyper control deck, you know, even going to the point where people are running 67 cards to try to get an edge in the mirror. Um, yeah, you could beat that deck with an evasive aggro deck but the problem mm. with evasives is when you pair it into something like steel and you have access to grab your swords tinkerbell and all of these sort of agnostic board clears um you're fundamentally playing understated characters and that's why they have the evasive keyword is because their stats are generally worse than a character that would not and if you have a deck that clears the board and doesn't really care about that um i mean you'll just be playing a better deck so that's why i think that deck has sort of eggs sort of started to exit the metagame um is because of just, I mean, since we talked last on the podcast, I mean, our last podcast was like, you know, is the best deck Amber Steel? Is it Ruby Amethyst? Like right now it's like, yeah, it's Amber Steel. <laughs> um, I think yeah. it is by quite a long shot. That being said, the problem with Amber Steel and the reason why I would think twice before bringing it to the <laughs> tournament is because I think that the matchup into Ruby Amethyst is actually, neg it, it's unfavorable. I'm not, it's not unwinnable, but it's unfavorable. And I think that, you know, Ruby Amethyst is a deck that, it's just one of those decks. Like historically in TCGs, like those kind of decks, like people have an affinity towards like these hyper control decks that are, um, I don't know, they're just very flavorful to the essence of what control is. And I think that the Ruby Amethyst deck is a great expression of that in Lorcana. And if you have any affinity towards that archetype, that's probably a deck you're going to be playing. And that is a deck that just feels awesome to play in paper, right? You have the cauldron, you're looking at your top two cards, you have beat prepared, you're wiping the board. Like that deck, you feel like you're the like the chad of the table so i think that if i go to a tournament in person it's gonna be a lot of people on ruby amethyst which would make me think twice about playing uh um steel amber especially since you're you're going to this tournament are you considering that at all is like that this meta this meta sh might be different sort of in person i mean also this card availability which is a huge aspect yeah, yeah it's a think, huge factor yeah i think that's it right i think i've just got to kind of take a look at my collection see what i can patch together really i do think realistically i'm, I'm going to be playing amber because i've got the rapunzels like mm -hmm. i mentioned and i do think realistically i'm going to lean towards steel because I, I do have a few of those aerials i do have a couple of tinkerbells maybe i can try and get a couple more of some trades on the day right uh, i've not got round to like listing up my own cards i'd much rather just trade it kind of ruins the whole like having to package it up and send it off because i'm a bit useless of stuff like that so i'm hoping to get some trades in and then i'll kind of just make up as i go along it's not till sunday i'll have some time to practice against some people i guess before um, I think the evasive deck as well is definitely an interesting one for an in-person tournament deck because it's going to be a lot more affordable, right? Like, I'm fortunate enough that I opened a bunch of boxes so that uh, I can patch something pretty close, you know, to, to what I want to be playing together. But if you're, you know, you don't, you've not opened many packs and you just want something cheap, like an Emerald Ruby evasive deck, I definitely could see being a solid way to go, actually. Cards like Pongo are super affordable, but very, very powerful potentially, so... The other deck I'm really interested in, you know, is in Emerald with um, John Silver. I think this mm. card's kind of being stepped on a bit. I played against earlier on Pixelborn and I was really impressed, actually. Uh, so John Silver's a legendary in, in Emerald, cost six, uh, five attack, five defense, it quests for two. But whenever you play, when you play this character and whenever it quests, you can give um, an opposing character Reckless. And obviously you've got Jasper as well in Emerald. Um, so... I had, like, honestly, the best game of Pixel 1 I've ever played on Lorcana earlier, where I was playing Amethyst and Amber 
aggro and it is so flipping aggressive i have a bunch of uninkables it's very risky i play just in time down on turn three into a goofy or maximus just and uh, just quest like crazy right with both maleficent and lilo as the one one quest for two cards so it's super aggressive i got to 19 and my opponent was just had jasper john silver down like played mother knows best and then the, G the genie which is like bouncing stuff back mm -hmm. to my hand right and i actually ended up winning it 20 to 19 like i just got across the line but i was super impressed honestly like emerald has some really amazing cards at like five and six cost and I could definitely see pairing it with Steel to, to work because uh, what a lot of the time you see people do with these Emerald decks is they play super passively early, like with Flynn and with Cheshire Cat. And while that's good in a deck with like John Silver, you just need to stop them early enough, right? Like it, So maybe you just need something a little bit more aggressive early on. And certainly a Tinkerbell on turn four is going to help you slow your opponent right down, right? So definitely interested in like checking out Emerald in that sense. I think Emerald's got some really amazing cards at like five and six costs with Kuzco. Genie, John Silver. You've almost got too many options, right? Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, and I think that, speaking of too many options, I think that that honestly really describes Amber at this point. Amber is a deck that is built just like, there's multiple decks that are tier one or tier zero that are just, they're wildly different in a sense. I mean, pretty much everything runs aerial, but the, is your top end Stitch Carefree Surfer or is it Stitch Rockstar? Because Stitch Rockstar adds a deck building constraint where you want to have the the low drops to sort of you know, activate the draw trigger and refill your hand. Um Kawa, you mentioned a whole new world. So the reason why, uh, you know, a whole new world in a deck like Emerald Steel, you know, refilling your hand, the control deck is keeping cards in hand. So they effectively, you know, they discard cards and you get card advantage over them by casting a whole new world. I think the reason why a whole new world can be so broken in Amber Steel is because it can cast it on turn four. Because um, you can play the Ariel on turn three, you can search it up and then Ariel yeah. can sing it on turn four. I also play, um, in my Amber Steel deck, I also play Four Cinderella, the two five. Uh, that, mm -hmm. that can quest for two, but also sing songs. It's just so powerful to not spend resources on on those songs, whether it's Grab Your Sword or A Whole New World. Um, so I, what do you, how are you guys building the Amber deck or the Amber side of your decks currently? Are you opting for the uninkable cards like Lilo with, you know, paired with the Simba, getting that early aggressive curve? And what does your top end look like? Are you running the Stitch Carefree Surfer? And are you running, um, or are you running Stitch Rockstar? So the one I've been running is like very similar to the one you would have seen um, with Moyen. Mm -hmm. Moyen is like a very good friend of mine. Um, and I, I've spoken to him a lot about this deck. So I love Lantern in the deck. I think it's absolutely amazing. Like I, I'm super, super high on this card right now. You're almost becoming like the biggest advantage of the Sapphire faction is that you can play Mickey Mouse on turn three uh, to ramp, right? But it feels like the the lantern is doing that but better because you can play on turn two and it feels super slow at first but then you realize you can still play a one drop as well mm -hmm. and suddenly like you're not even losing that much tempo but on turn three you're able to play a four cost right so you're actually ramping potentially quicker than the the sapphire faction right so uh, i've been very impressed by by in that regard and i think because you play lantern it also just enables you to play more top end cards like stitch you can get down on turn three with it's the, the so lantern broken, it's yeah. it's absolutely I, I did it insane before this podcast and i was just like it was actually the first time i played stitch rockstar on turn three so basically the curve is you play stitch on turn one you play lantern on turn two and then you uh shift stitch rockstar on turn three it's so good it's and you can you can even play uh lantern and stitch on turn two right because you have that option you're going to play mm -hmm. two one drops so like lantern when you first look at it, it's like well okay it's good but I'm losing a lot of early game board presence, but there's really not that much difference between like a one drop and a two drop on the board, right? Like in terms of raw stats, often like certain one drops are gonna be able to trade for two drops just fine. So uh, 
I think that's like a huge part of, of this Amber deck. And yeah, like the Stitch Carefree Surfer being able to play, uh, just draw two cards instantly. Rapunzel with the card draw, and you've got like cards with big defense as well. Like, yeah, I think the deck's just insane. But I, the thing I think is a big, I don't say oversight, but I, I feel like Tinkerbell, the uh, the smaller one mm-hmm. that you play on turn three, she has four defense. You just cannot stop her. Like three defense would feel so much more fair. So at least like Smash could do something to her, mm-hmm. right? But mm-hmm. you just you see what's coming, but there's nothing you can do about it usually. So yeah. I think it's just really really powerful lakana is a game of big butts for sure and uh you know speaking of boy and speaking of big butts i want to get your thoughts on a card called uh, a vanilla card actually in steel called severus the five cost that is a five oh yeah body. that card feels very very powerful in the mirror and i think that the card design of Cer- uh severus actually negates a lot of the other card design in the game especially at the five slots so we'll get into spoilers later but basically we had a spoiler come out the winnie the pooh it's a five five in amethyst and like yeah I feel like that card is just so unplayable in the Cerberus. Like, the 5-6 body is disgusting. It trades with everything in the mirror, um, and pretty much nothing can kill it. And you really can't trade effectively into it, even with your board clears, like your Grab the Swords plus your Tinkerbells. Like, it's just such an awkward number to be at 6. Uh, I just, have you have you experimented or faced Cerberus at all? Because it's such an innocuous card, right? It's like the 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 Hearthstone Yeti of Lorcana. Oh. Yeah, um, so actually in the version of the Amber Steel that I was running, I had one Cerberus. So you can actually run two Cerberus in the list as well, and it's really good. Like, it's really, really good. Uh, having that one extra stat is really beneficial. Like, like Specie was saying, right, it's it's really similar to the fact that this Tinkerbell has four defense. It's kind of crazy when you look at the some of the other cards within Lorcana. Uh, so yeah, it, it's, it's put in work for me, honestly. And I think if we see more cards with this type of stat line come out they're gonna be included in a lot of like lists then like again like you said we're gonna get into the spoilers now uh but when you can compare this and then you compare when you the poo it's just like why would you why would you play that card mm. you know what i mean the the, the the stat line speaks speaks for itself and i think that's what it is for for Lorcana, right like uh not be, because at the moment at least in set one right there is i want to say limited spot removal and limited interactability with cards if you can't just actually kill it um that may change I, i'm sure that will change with up, with upcoming sets um i think it means that these stats are very meaningful and very very impactful when you play them so uh yeah I, have you messed around with it much brendan because in, in in the amber steel list at least for me like when i play it i'm never feeling i never feel like i'm at a disadvantage to play it you know what i mean uh, if i was to bring a a, a steel amber deck to an in-person event, I think I'd play four. <laughs> I think it's yeah, I can really, see it. Yeah. I can really see it. Like being able to sing those songs is so valuable as well. And like you mentioned in the mirror, having like a big chungus like this is just like an extra card. Like as, as good as Beast is mm-hmm. against the Ruby and Amethyst mm-hmm. deck, you'd much rather be able to ink it in, in matchups which aren't that right. So having like this ep- extra five cost just makes a lot of sense because in, you know, 90% let's say of your matchups or maybe 80 70% whatever it is the beast is actually not a particularly good card right it's just going to be a card that you're inking so i think having like another option there and similarly when you are playing against ruby amethyst you can ink the cerebus cerebus and play the beast right so the fact that it's got so much defense it's going to be one of those cards which can sing songs because often your opponent is just going to be targeting removal on on your five cost singers and above and that's why i also think cinderella's a great shout like cinderella's got a big booty big body rather big defense 
you know what I'm going for. And uh, she can quest for two as well, but the fact she can sing those those five cost songs, I think she's on five defense, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, so Cerberus and Cinderella's as big defensive powerhouses, which can just stick on the board, I think could make a big difference. Yeah, the game the game really is, uh, I think, hinged on big butts because like. I mean, think about a card like Scar, the five three, and we had a we had a five three get spoiled in the next set. Like that card is just so bad, kind of. I mean, mm. maybe it's fine, but and then you think about a card like Cinderella or Cerberus that have these breakpoints on them. You know, you have a four cost with a five butt, um, or you have a five cost with a six butt. I mean, just it's so much harder to. I'm enjoying interact. the butt words, yeah. by the way. It's, <laughs> it's very amusing. It's it's so much. It's so hard to interact with those cards because they don't die to just like this standard removal um, combo that you have, right? Because if you have something like a five three it's just i don't know it dies to tinkerbell plus grab your sword which is such a common uh turn yeah. four right because you are on turn three you grab the grab sword out of your deck and then you shift the tinkerbell and then boom you've cleared their entire board um so yeah cerberus is just it's super interesting and the funny thing about steel with access to things like beast and cerberus is like steel has access to these fantastic toolbox s cards right cerberus is not really a toolbox card but beast is and they're inkable. So, like, you think about Magic Mirror, uninkable. Uh, Beast Mirror, inkable. Uh, Beast, which is, like, targeted toolbox removal, inkable. Like, it's just crazy. That's I think that's really what brings Steel so far um, so far up in terms of, like, the, the hierarchy of colors. One thing I want to mention is um, Pixelborn, they actually released their data. I don't know if you've checked out in their Discord, but they released their data. The data for Pixelborn matches, there's a lot of matches played. They have lots of players. is pretty interesting. The game is... Um, kind of disgustingly balanced like everything is pretty much 50 percent. nothing is above 51 percent. no color combination nothing i think some of the color combinations might be might actually have trickled down as like some like lower 49 percent. but it's super super balanced with you know the top deck in terms of win rate it's actually a sapphire deck um but in terms of you like if you account if you wait for games played and stuff it does seem to be the steel amber deck and the ruby amethyst deck at the top but it's it's a murky picture because of the nature of a ladder system and an online client and how disincentivized you are to play something like a control deck that will continually extend games, you know, to the 30, 50 minute mark. Uh, especially I want to ask you because you came from, you have a background in card games. You came from Gwent, you came from Marvel snap. Are there any card game fundamentals that you feel like you brought over to Lakana that helped you get sort of get better at the game or get good quick? Yeah, that's a very good question. I think like one thing is just knowing your outs, mm -hmm. like it's important to know. And what I mean by that is like, for I'll give you the example of Amethyst and Amber aggression. So this deck has a whole bunch of uninkables. You're playing like eight uninkables in terms of just Lilo and Maleficent. I'm playing Rafiki just in time. Um, your Mulligan, you can really screw up on, but you just kind of have to know when you're playing a super aggressive deck that you need a decent curve and Therefore, you have to take like this calculated risk, whether it's in the deck builder or in the mulligan itself, right? To just mulligan aggressively and just hope, therefore, that um, you're going to find the right curve. And if you don't, okay, you can maybe go next with these aggro decks. That's kind of how it goes. So I guess like making risky plays if you think that you need to, right? And if you don't need to make risky plays, if you're feeling confident, like let's say you know you're playing against um, an Amethyst and Ruby Control deck, you can be a lot more safe in your mulligan, therefore. Whereas if you're playing against Steel, for example, you need the nuts to have a chance. Mm. So you're going to need to be a lot more aggressive to find your perfect curve, really. So I think that'll be one thing. To be fair, like the main thing for me is probably deck building, just uh, that ability to evaluate like 
what card is the worst card in my deck? I think that's like the key thing uh, with deck building. I almost like build decks in reverse where like it's so easy to get overwhelmed and just suddenly you've got 60 cards. So what I always do every time after I play a game uh, when I'm trying a new deck, I leave the deck where it is. I start a fresh one and I rebuild the deck from scratch. And my technique is I say, right, what is the best card that I can put in my deck? Okay, Tinkerbell, she's in the deck. I need the smaller Tinkerbell. And then suddenly you've got like 52 cards, right? And you're like, okay, these are probably my non-negotiables. And then suddenly rather than trying to like decide on 60 cards, you're just left with like eight or 20, whatever it is, right? So I think that like start of deck building um, has helped a lot. Like in a 60 card deck, it's uh, very easy to to end up with um, some, some suboptimal cards in there if you're not like evaluating a lot. And I think that's a really good thing to do. Also like when you're playing, change the deck up even if you're happy with the list just like see what how other things feel right and, and maybe you might find that when you try other versions of, your de of the deck you're like yeah okay i actually prefer my original version but you might be like oh there might be something more to explore here right just experiment with the deck building and that's how you're going to get better with doing it right like actually just building your own rather than just copying a list you find online somewhere uh, there's nothing wrong with that but if you want to get better it's definitely a good idea to just practice iterate also like speaking with other people about decks if you can is an amazing way to improve deck building as well. <clears throat> One thing that's interesting about Lorcana dynamic that I think will come up, sorry, this is a bit of a tangent, that I think will come up in physical uh, physical play tournaments is just, so Lorcana has the most powerful mulligan I've ever seen in a card game. Mm. Um, but uh, you can def like it is very, very valuable to know what archetype your opponent is on in Lorcana. It drastically yeah. changes your mulligan. And mm. like, I think at a physical tournament, like the the edge you get from scouting in a game like Larkana is way higher than a game like Flesh and Blood or what I would presume to be Magic because I never played Magic competitively because it dictates your mulligan so much, right? Like, do I need to mulligan for the beast? Do I mulligan for an aggressive curve here? Do I mulligan for my top end curve or my key card to clear the board with like something like Shift Tank? It's just it's such a different paradigm. Um, it's, mm. It seems like it will be so important, especially when you get to like the top eight or something like that, where, you know, information is relatively known that it will, it will be, it will behoove you to know what archetype your opponent is on. That's a really interesting point because I almost wonder if the game would be better fundamentally if before the game started, you just say, you know, like you reveal like what ink yes. colors you are to your opponent. I mean, I look at Gwent, for example, uh, and in a game of Gwent, there's five, perhaps six factions now, I think it's five. And there is a little entry screen at the start. You see like what faction your opponent's playing. You don't know what kind of deck you can maybe make some assumptions based off their leader, but even just seeing the color, I think would make a lot of sense because that is gonna change how you're mulliganing, right? And uh, you, you do certainly know if you're going first or second, that's also gonna change your mulligan in, in some senses. But yeah, you make an interesting point that by being a bit sneaky, a bit crafty and like spying on people, maybe you could get an advantage, right? To know what color they are ahead of time. So maybe it would just, it's definitely an interesting idea. I, I, what do you think on that, Kawa? Like, do you think you should see before or do you like the secrecy? Yeah, I don't know. It, it's really interesting for us coming from something like uh, Snap, right? Because obviously Snap is, is always closed. But then Snap doesn't have anything like Gwent or Hearthstone where there's like a class or a faction no. before, right? And Hearthstone, are they're playing Mage, they're playing Rogue, they're playing Druid, okay? And then just, you know, these games have a mulligan. Snap has, Snap has none of that, right? I mean, you just draw your cards, you play the game, uh, which, which is how it's designed, right? It's supposed to be a fast type of thing. You don't make as many decisions at the start and, and even throughout the game. Um, but yeah, I mean, personally, I think... I'd like if they re revealed the 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 colors mm. because it just makes the game like okay I'm against this list I'm looking for this and then they're they're also the same, um, 
I, I, I did see, I, I may be mistaken here, but I think we got uh, some update this week. Brennan, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that th there is some sort of, uh, I don't know if rules got leaked yeah. or not. No, they or... came out with uh, comprehensive rules. So they came out with the rules that, they came out with a rule structure that will basically allow you to run a tournament. Um, so yeah, it just like it clarifies stuff and it makes it so you can sort of arbit have arbiters over the game that can resolve issues, okay. um, which wasn't in place before. So technically before, if you're running a tournament, you're just kind of like, oh, I mean, it probably works that way, but yeah, 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 because there's some like weird things, right? For example, if you use lantern, you might think that you, if you use lantern, you can, for example, shift on turn three with Rockstar Stitch, but what you can't do is you can't use lantern to reduce the cost of Rockstar Stitch to five and then just in time it out. That doesn't work. Yeah, that doesn't work. Yeah. So there are like some new, like small things which having like this kind of rule book is definitely going to be important mm -hmm. for right otherwise people are going to get in arguments yeah yeah definitely well the one thing i want to mention about scouting and sort of this this idea of knowing your opponent's archetype is so in flesh and blood it's also a physical card game scouting is helpful i mean to if you saw cards that were in their deck but it's, it's very minimal because they reveal their hero and you can generally assume what kind of archetype they're on that being said you know some people are probably listening to this podcast and maybe don't have as much experience in physical card games or just don't really know the history of how stuff works they're probably like oh don't do that no the game is perfect how it is scouting is just immoral don't do it but the thing about scouting is that first of all it's not against the rules and second um it gets really degenerate really 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 fast so once you start to get to competitive events like one uh, case study from magic the gathering is uh basically there was and i could be telling the story slightly wrong so i'll use it in anonymity but there was a high level professional team in magic the gathering that hired people that actually weren't competing in the event to literally just walk around the event and write down what decks people are on so they can know wow. the deck before okay. which is you know it's it's unpleasant right like as a as a player as a person competing as a person who has access to like the the economies of scale that you might have with a 20 person, 30 person team that can have access to those resources. It feels unfair. And that's why like when you implement systems that can protect against that inherently, like revealing your archetype, revealing your colors or open deck lists, which happens in top eight, because scouting is just inherent a part of top eight. So you get to a, if you're at a premier tournament, you get to a top eight, it's very likely that the players in the top eight who have high winning records of the tournament have been on stream. If there's covers, they've been on stream, they've been winning, they're at the top table. So you will just know, like that's it. And you don't want to add this sort of metagaming that exists on top of the game where people are incentivized to like try to figure out what people are on and get like this asymmetric information advantage. So that's where like, you know, potentially a rule on top of that could happen. But yeah, I don't yeah. I don't think a lot of people are aware of like the history of scouting and how ridiculous it can get. Because it's uh it gets it gets out of control for sure. All right, yeah, I'd never heard this this word scouting before. Like I was oh, yeah. just thinking spying. I mean to this point as well. It's definitely something worth mentioning that when you are playing Lorcan, I was saying this to my stream earlier, like if I'm on Amber Amethyst, if I'm planning on playing an Amber card on turn one, there is an advantage. If I've got two identical cards, one's Amber, one's Amethyst, it always makes sense to ink the identical Amber card if I'm playing an Amber card because I'm just giving less information to my opponent that way, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, definitely. I mean, that is absolutely something that you should be doing on Pixmore and, and also paying... You know, the reverse of that, paying attention to what your opponent is inking, because, you know, yep. if they're playing Amethyst and they ink the red card, it's like, okay, we probably know what archetype's on, but they ink an emerald yeah. card, you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> what is this? Yeah. What is this deck they're playing? Um, 
just want to jump into the spoilers uh, while we have time, if y'all are Ooh, ready. Let's do it. Let's so, do it. Let's make sure my overlay works. Okay, it does. So I'm just doing these via macros on OBS. So they're currently on Specy's forehead, but I will go ahead and read them out. <laughs> so the first one we're going to talk about is Dinner Bell. This is a four cost item in Amber. And it says, you know what happens. Tap two and tap and pay two resources draw cards equal to the damage on chosen character of yours then banish them well i mean this is particularly the reason if you look at this card from a you know i guess color agnostic you're like wow that's garbage <laughs> but <laughs> ruby currently doesn't have access to card draw so this is like a very interesting card to be added to the the sort of the rolodex of ruby what are your thoughts on dinner bell Uninkable, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned. Terrible. That. Yeah. Yeah. It it really does not seem too good. Uh, like just my my rough knowledge of cards within Ruby. I don't think there's too many with like a lot of high it's Maui. defense stats. Play yeah, Maui. it's Maui. It's like Maui. Maui's the like, yeah, I mean, right? Ma Ma Maui's the what? You like you you Maui, you make the trade. Yep. And then you do this, but then it's you know this. This being an uninkable card as well, it's just like you paid. Man, you paid it, six it as well to potentially draw three cards, which is that. That's the thing you have to consider is like you needed to activate this twice to get even val yeah. value anywhere close to Rapunzel, like anywhere close, mm -hmm. maybe even three yeah. times. Um, In fairness, comparing any card to Rapunzel is probably going to look a bit pants, but yeah, this card <laughs> is uh, not too hot. Like, like you say, Maui. There is some situations where Maui can be on the board and he's a little bit useless because you can't quest with him. Yeah. But even then, right, like the fact that you're banishing him when you could be potentially trading up like another card uh, just seems really niche, really, even even when it pops off, it's not that good and it's uninkable. So it's just like one of the worst cards I've seen, actually. Yeah. And it's a rare? What? <laughs> oh. All right. On to Mickey Mouse here. Uh, Mickey Mouse friendly face. This is an amber card. It is a one six. It costs six, and it is inkable. Uh, Storyborn hero. Uh, it says, "Glad you're glad you're here. Whenever this character quests, you may pay three less for the next character you play this turn, and it quests for three. So this is very very similar to Moana. Moana is a five cost. It also has a one six body. Quest for three, and has that sort of princess clause. This is a six cost. Um, pretty high curve. Amber doesn't really have access to a lot of." nine drops that you would want to play or eight drops at that what are your thoughts on mickey mouse friendly face i think uh straight off the bat i, I don't think it's a, a bad card by any means i mean we have cards with number like rapunzel and like moana who have the stat line you know like the, the one five or the one eight or the one six uh so when you get to some of your top end obviously you want to do stuff like your stitch carefree surfer to draw your cards mm -hmm. and stuff like that so if you can't just get this out and there's not too much bot like I, I in, in my opinion, if if uh Moana is a playable card and she's pretty decent, you know, you quest for three with her, it's pretty good. I think Mickey can be played. It being one cost higher than Moana is a little bit tricky. It is inkable. If you don't, you know, if you if you can't pull it off, it's fine. Just throw it into your ink well. Um, but overall it seems pretty good. The discount as well within uh Amber specifically seems pretty good, right? Because you could if Mickey survives. You can quest with Mickey, play your Ariel, do, you know, find your song, get, get like, inherently get some cards with them. So then you can maybe look at this, like, obviously, if you combo with another card. Uh, the restriction for a Stitch Carefree Surfer is that you need to have two cards on the board. You could have Mickey and then kind of pop off a little bit with your Ariel and, and kind of do some crazy stuff. So I think it's a decent card. Uh, time will tell to see 
uh, how well it kind of sticks to the board. But I think with that, like we said so far, Lorcan is very much a game of stat line. So with a six six health or six defense there, it seems pretty pretty decent. Not not the worst, but like nothing crazy in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like comparing it to Mana is pretty pretty valid. Mm. Uh, it's definitely a better card than Mana in my opinion. But one advantage Mana has is that you can play just in time into her, so she fits like those kind of decks. I think Mickey Mouse with a lantern, like being able to play it down early. And then maybe dumping like a carefree surfer. But even if you just think about the value you could get from this Mickey Mouse by playing like, for example, the three cost Mickey Mouse or a Rafiki that costs three for nothing in like a more aggressive style of yeah. deck that could work quite well. I think it's when I first saw it, I thought it looked pretty insane. The more I've looked at it, I think it's like a card which can really pop off if you're building a deck around it. And I think it's going to be a pretty damn solid card. I mean, six defense is a lot for a card which wants to quest frequently. Like the the defense stat is the most important stat really on a card which quests for three and also you've got rapunzel in amber so six defense plus rapunzel gives you like a lot of healing opportunities Mm -hmm. i think it's going to prove to be a pretty damn good card actually but it's gonna not be like just a card you can plug and play like rapunzel but more one that you're going to build a lot of your strategy around yeah i i think i agree with both of you one thing i'll say and i'll just highlight what you said is i do think that it was very intentional to put this at six cost to make it not able yeah. to be just in time that was very intentional. i would be so broken <laughs> if you could actually yeah, yeah i initially when i saw this card i thought it was a you know very very high power level and i've sort of come a little bit off it since yeah then. well i think it's still a good card i don't see it immediately slotting into the into any of the decks that i'd be playing um at the moment which is one consideration okay on to Gaston, Gaston Intellectual Powerhouse here. Um, this is a six cost, non inkable, in Sapphire, 4 4 body, floodboard villain, has shift four, so you may pay four to place on top of one of your characters named Gaston. Has a, an ability called Developed Brain. When you play this character, look at the top three cards of your deck. You may put one into your hand, put the rest on the bottom of your deck in any order, and it quests for three. Speci. Juicer of a card. This card's insanely good. I think it's one of the best ones actually revealed, maybe like top three. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only Gaston is currently in Ruby, which is the 14. reckless one, which can't quest. Good card, deals with Simba, uh, so you can shift it on onto that. And that's really interesting because you're shifting. You know, it's a four-two character which can't quest, and then suddenly, if it didn't do much, you can play this big boy who can quest for three. But the fact that he draws you a card, guaranteed when you play him, is insane. But not only does he draw you a card, but you get to tutor. You get to see three cards, so if there's something specific you need. Of course, the fact that it is uninkable is the downside, but I think that is a price that you're very happy to pay with this card draw. It's quite comparable to the Robin Hood, which can also draw you a card and costs six in Amber. Uh, this card is like a little bit better stat-wise, but in at the trade-off Saf- of being Saf- right? Yeah, in, in blue. Uh, yeah. I believe it's in blue, yeah. Yep. Uh, I think this card is decent i don't think it's crazy I, I think any more card draw in software is pretty decent right because obviously that's ramp deck and as myself and brendan discussed in episode 14 like especially playing the starter decks obviously it's different when you actually make a, a constructed deck but like blue can very much get into top deck fiesta uh one of the most successful uh blue decks i've played is blue purple or mm. sapphire amethyst uh because then you get to get your consistent card draw you can keep inking cards putting into inkwell do fishbone quill to possibly ink this card you don't have to like like if you're playing that type of deck you might think oh this is just an uninkable card but if you have fishbone quill in the deck you can still ink this card if it's like bad so i think it's pretty decent it's it just more more card draw on sapphire seems decent to me so uh yeah solid card what do you think Brandon? um 
it's interesting because I think uh, like card game fundamentals wise, it replaces itself. You know, looking at top three, the top three cards is powerful. Uh, compared it to Robin Hood, you know, Robin Hood is inkable, but this card does mm -hmm. quest for three uh, and mm. the ability to always replace itself. Like Robin Hood is conditional card draw. This is not. Is something to consider. I would. The biggest condition for me at this card is to see what other Gastons can be shifted yeah. on. I mm -hmm. think that the Ruby mm -hmm. Gaston, um, it's interesting, right? Because the Ruby Gaston could be a pretty dead card. Like sometimes you develop on board too, just as like a sort of an insurance or maybe you've dealt with whatever you need to deal with. And it's it, it just kind of sits on the board, right? And this is a great shift target for that on four. And you're not necessarily two for winning yourself if it does get removed because it does have develop brain attached onto it. I think it's a powerful card. Um, it feels like, I don't know. It feels a bit, you know, power. We have two cards in one here, so it's like a bit power creepy in a sense. Um, you know, it's appropriately costed, but I think the Gaston is it's good. It just doesn't immediately jump out to me as like I'd put this in this deck and I would, you know, I would leverage Gaston itself to dominate the meta. But yeah. you know, a lot of cards are more innocuous than that. Like a lot of cards, you know, they can just eke out more value than others, and ultimately that can be sort of the ingredients for what creates the best deck so a uh, good card yeah I, I think like in terms of like what gaston what other gaston cards it's also like what inks mm -hmm. are you gonna have gastons mm -hmm. in right like if if there's some other gaston that gets printed even if it's not a particularly strong card like for example tinkerbell if it's just like a decent little color combination which sapphire is going to fit well with then um yeah there's a lot of really good sapphire cards but i've not been super high on any of the combinations of sapphire that i've tried just yet so yeah, I, I think any card which draws you a card, especially getting to pick three, oof, yeah, like I'm the potential I'm, of this card is so high, right? Yeah, I'm hoping there's a few different Gastons and a few different uh, inks. The only reason I say that is because, for example, with Tinkerbell, right? Like she's in three different inks for the for set one, which is Steel, Emerald, and Amethyst. I, I think I think the Amethyst one yeah, is probably, she is the, one. probably yep, the worst yep. of the bunch, but uh, it would be cool to see Gaston and, and maybe Sapphire if it was in steel, that'd be pretty cool. And obviously in, in, in Ruby as well. So yeah, I'm excited to see. I think this card definitely rests upon what other Gastons end up getting printed in the set. Mm -hmm. Well, one thing to note as well is like it is a villain. So that's actually kind of a theme in a lot of these early spoilers. And there there is like, you know, the top end Hades that exists in Amber, yep. which has the mm -hmm. villain payoff, which currently is, it just doesn't have enough cards to work with at the moment to be good. But something to look out for as we see more cards spoiled. All right, on to the next one, Cinderella. Stout-hearted. Um, this is a 7 cost in steel that can be inked, has a 5-5 five, five body, is a Floodborne hero, Princess Knight, shift 5, so you can shift this for 5 on top of another character named Cinderella, resist plus 2, damage dealt to this character is reduced by 2. That is not just combat damage, that is also uh, action damage, song damage, so uh, grab your swords, it's smash, etc. Um, it has Tinker an ability, bells, yeah. yep, has an ability... The Singing Sword, whenever you play a song, this character may challenge ready characters this turn and it quests for three. I'm going to get y'all's thoughts first. Insane is all I have to say. I mean, all my Twitter was talking about was Belle. I know, Meanwhile, I'm looking yeah, at Cinderella yeah. over here. Oh. Wow, this card is nuts. But I think it's the best of the, the revealed cards. Mm -hmm. Might be the best card in the game period that yeah. we have. I think that your latter statement there is correct. It's we're going to talk about Bell, but when we do, I think Bell is the bait card. Everybody is talking about Bell, and it's like Bell is act. It actually is kind of mid. You know, it'll be good when you shift it on three, and we'll get into it. But this Cinderella card is a freaking house, and you just put it in the best deck, and it this thing would be running the tables right now. Like this is absolute resist two. 
It's just so hard for me to see how that is like balanced. I mean, especially in the mirror. Yeah. We thought we're like we're like oh Cerberus. Cerberus is like this broken vanilla card. This is Cerberus on steroids. This is insane. <laughs> Resist two is a crazy ability. And the singing sword. When you play a song, this character may challenge ready character this turn. Game warping to co- completely yeah. changes the, the the dynamic of the game because, um, you know, Lorcano is a game about. Uh, in, so, in some sense, about engines, and a lot of engines can exist in the form of items, so they're not interactable, but also unready characters. Obviously, they can be dragonfired and stuff like that, but you'll be able to interact with your opponent's potential engines, or your opponent's potential cards are trying to alpha quest against you with, um, and you, you, like just pair this with Amber, already the best colored pair with Steel, uh, in our opinion. You play something like Be Our Guest, a two-cost that replaces itself, finds, you know, digs four cards, finds you something that you're looking for, and you can challenge ready characters. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. The four-cost Cinderella and the Umber list as well with this. Yep. Like, it's insane. so good. Like, it is... The, the other thing to mention with the Cinderella is the one weakness she has is going to be to spot removal cards, mm-hmm. right? So things like Mother Knows Best, for example, mm-hmm. Let It Go, right. as well as Dragonfire. Like, I think the stonks of those cards are going to go up pretty significantly. Mm-hmm. Seven is a lot as well at the moment. There isn't really that many Cinderellas to shift onto. So she's going to be like a little bit of a later game card. And Steel isn't inherently a ink color which can get to seven easily, right? It doesn't have access to cards like Lantern. It doesn't have the Sapphire Ramp. So you're going to want to pair it probably with like, I think I can see it being best with Amber or with Sapphire for that reason. Um, But yeah, I mean, the fact that you can run four of these, like, okay, your opponent might remove one or two, but yeah, you're going to have more coming. Yeah, another thing to note as well, it is a princess tag, so you could play this, you could play Moana in the mm. list, and it can kind of pop off. So yeah, yeah crazy card. This card's ridiculous. This card is absolutely crazy. It does it all, doesn't it? <laughs> like, and it and it quests for three because why know. not? Like, it literally it does everything. <laughs> Seriously, like, it could uh, quest for nothing, and you might be all right with it. So, yeah. you know? Set two comes out. This is the card that I'm buying sets up first. Mm. Like, this is the card that I'm yeah. buying before it goes up in price because somebody wins, like you know, a tournament with it. Yeah. Um, on to the next one. This is a card that was very innocuous to me at first, actually. So it's a uh, Tiana celebrating princess. This is a steel card oh, yeah. once again. Four costs, not inkable. One four stat line. Dreamboard hero princess. Princess once again. Resist plus two. So same thing. Damage dealt to this character is reduced by two, and it says. What you give is what you get. While this card is exerted and you have no cards in your hand, opponents can't play actions, and it quests for two lore. All right, so. We take one of the top decks and we take its worst matchup. Um, so let's say we take Amber Steel and it's Ruby Amethyst's worst matchup. Most annoying card to play against, be prepared, right? That is the board wipe. Be prepared cannot be played if you have no cards in hand. You have Tiana on board. What are you Pretty insane. Yeah, it, it, it was kind of a weird one because at first I looked at it and I was like, mm, seems quite hard because the Amber Steel is that we see, you know, you're, you want to have card draw with Ariel and, and, and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, this is a way to stop be prepared, which previously there was no way to stop that card. So I think it's really interesting. Um, you, the resist to obviously another um, way that means that, like this is just harder to actually take down. Like, I don't know. I, I think it's really good for me personally. I'm not really seeing... I mean, maybe we just play this in like what, like uh, an amber steel aggro more so than kind of a mid range. Or what are you, what are you guys' thoughts on it? Yeah, I think it's pretty flexible. I mean, so like we mentioned with Cinderella, like resist two is a lot. Mm. Like resist one is actually already a lot, right? Because it's not like it's just protecting you from two damage. 
it's protecting you from two instances of damage every time it's damaged, right? Mm -hmm. So cards like Be Prepared, Tinkerbell, even things like Smash, right? Like Smash is only dealing one damage to this. So uh, you're going to need to like have six damage at once on, on a card to remove her. So something like Maui is the obvious answer mm -hmm. and pretty much like one of the only efficient trades that exist in the game. And yeah, if you can build like this kind of steel deck, not going for a whole new world, but instead going a different route with Beast Mirror and like actually intentionally emptying your hand each turn, mm -hmm. right? Then Tiana plus like the Cinderella suddenly Cinderella's weaknesses are to these spot removal cards like Let It Go and Dragonfire. But if you've got both of these down and an empty hand, like Cinderella's going nowhere, right? So yeah, uh, like the, the resist two is a lot. Yeah. Six damage. Like what cards are dealing six damage? How is like it balance. It's like I, I, so the thing about it's like I actually have a lot of faith in the designers of Lorcana because like. I thought I was I, I generally didn't think that Lorcana would be like a super balanced game when I first started playing. Yeah, with me it. too. And then we play it now and it's like it's like disgustingly balanced. Like it, it's super like it's crazy balanced. You can play anything, like the the, yeah. the win rates are crazy close over large data sets. But these resist two steel cards are just I mean, in the context of the current card pool, they would be the best cards in the game. Like <laughs> they're ridiculous. Mm. I don't know, it's just insane. I think Tiana ultimately is a little bit mid compared to Cinderella. Like, yeah, it's flashy to be like, oh, you stop, be prepared. Oh, you stop, like, yeah. um, you know, these songs. But ultimately, like, I think that the uninkable aspect and the somewhat un less impressive stat line than Cinderella just makes it an okay card. I think it would absolutely see play right now, but it's not the powerhouse that Cinderella is, in my opinion. But it could change. This is a, uh, this is a, this is a card that could go up and down in value depending on the meta conditions, right? Like, this is yeah, you your could, answer to some you things. You could also play this card in a um, steel sapphire deck to, again, if you just want to protect cards. Like we, we've seen, um, like, the the top end for the sapphire deck is Bell, Bell right? Yeah. So you want to protect Bell. So you could just do stuff, and then you could like it's it's kind of weird though, right? Because like with that deck, you are top decking cards. So Tiana procs, but then you want to get cards. Like, do you play a whole new world? Do you not play a whole new world? Well, I think you do, um, right? Because you let's say you have Bell on board. You have Bell on board. You you play a whole new world. You ink two cards. You fishbone quill another card. Then you play one of those cards. Like you're taking yeah, four true. cards out of your hand. Like it's not that hard mm. for that deck to actually deploy a lot of the cards in hand. Um, so I think it would. I think it would be an addition. I mean, thing is with Tiana as well, right? Like this, like empty your hand part is something you can really build your deck around. Mm -hmm. She's still going to see play in, in decks which aren't even trying to do that. Just like simply by being able to quest for two at four cost with so much defense. Like defense is the most valuable yeah. stat for a card which wants to quest. And two quests for four isn't that bad at all, mm -hmm. right? Like with the card pool being as small as it is, like I end up playing like the three cost Mickey Mouse in quite a few of my like aggressive decks just simply because it quests for two. But uh, this card essentially has like three defense more than that Mickey Mouse, right? Because of this resist two, arguably even more than three defense, right? Like the resist two is just absolutely insane. I think the card's really, really good. Like the yeah. fact it's uninkable is the only thing keeping this like, because you've also got cards like Hades and, yeah. you know, like as good as Hades is as well. It's also one of those cards, like you're always considering it. Like, can I play this card or is it teetering me over the edge of too many uninkables, right? Yeah, mm. it's the uninkable aspect is what make this what makes this card reasonable. <laughs> it's like a, yeah, yeah. It's just like it's resist to it's just so disruptive to combat and the dynamic that we're so used to playing this game. Because like, like we were talking about earlier in this podcast, we're like louding up this um this vanilla five six. Like it's one of the most broken cards in the game, and you add resist two into things. And it's like it's crazy. <laughs> it's absolutely insane. Yeah. yeah. All right, on to the next one. This is the queen. So the queen is an amber card. 
And it's the Queen Commanding Presence, by the way. It's a 5 cost, can be inked, 4-3 body, Floodborne, Villain, Queen. Shift 2, you may pay 2 to place on top of one of your characters named the Queen. And it says, who is the fairest? Whenever this character quests, chosen opposing character gets minus 4 this turn. And chosen character, so it can be a friendly character, gets plus 4 attack this turn. Sorry, minus 4 attack and plus 4 attack. And it quests for 2. So my theory with the Queen <clears throat> is that the Queen that this could shift onto will not cost 1 or 2. It'll be a higher cost Queen or something. Because I, yeah, that's just, that's my theory. Because I was thinking about this, like, what kind of 1 cost Queen? You get this out on turn 2, it would just be like the most broken thing ever. Uh, but let's just get y'all's thoughts on the power level of the Queen overall. You can start, Spissy. Um, Tricky one. I think it's going to be pretty good in certain decks. Again, it's like, it's going to be a big... Uh, tempo swing it's kind of comparable to cards like Rafiki in that sense where you're impacting the board state I don't think its ability is as powerful as the rush like uh, because it's just going to be often doing very little but there's going to be some situations where it can really pop off for you if there's good queens to shift onto is going to be a huge impact on how good this card is right because uh, at the moment, I think the only other queen is the five cost in, in Amethyst, Amethyst yeah. which you obviously don't want to shift onto. Shift two is incredibly, incredibly cheap. You would have to assume that means we're going to get a one cost queen, right? Maybe. Like, are they really going to print this at shift uh, two? I feel otherwise? like that's where they, uh, I think they might be tricking us. Like, I think it might be a little bit of red herring where it says shift two, all shift mechanics prior to this have been on lower cost characters, lower cost versions of the characters. I think in the case of the queen that it might, they might not print one that costs less than two. So yeah. you're paying an additional two to actually like incur a higher cost to get this out. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is as well, right? Like this ability of who is the fairest is, uh, it's when it's questing mm -hmm. you're getting this, right? Not when it's played. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that actually, that improves it more than I thought. Like yeah. if it was having this ability when you play it, I feel like it would be very clunky. But if it's whenever it's questing, it's kind of similar to something like Maximus, right? Mm -hmm. And in my experience, while Maximus with its support category can be good, it can be a bit clunky. But let's not forget, like we're looking at these uh, resist cards, like that extra bit of damage to deal with Cinderella or Tiana actually sounds super relevant if we're looking mm -hmm. at these resist cards as being the meta, right? Mm -hmm. One thing about the Queen I want to note is that you're kind of incentivized to shift it because if you shift it, uh, you don't have this, I don't know what it's called, no kind of, sorry, but summoning sickness. And you can actually quest that turn and get this ability because you play the oh. Queen on five, uh, your opponent now sees open information about where they lose and win combat, right? So they make an educated decision on what the quest was yeah. based off, you know, your future turn of questing with the queen and having this sort of stat swing. But if you shift it, that's where you're going to get this big swing where your one drop trades for their five drop or something like that. Which is, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's what's interesting to me in regards to the queen. All right. On to the next one. Oh, I'm interested. Okay. Zero to hero. Action song in Amber. Two cost. Uninkable. It says, you know, a song is a character with two, two or more costs can sing this for free. Count the number of characters you have in play. You may pay that amount of resources or ink less for the next character you play this turn. Kawa, your thoughts? I'm putting you on blast here. Uh, I mean, I don't have the experience with the aggro decks. Best you would probably tell you all about no, this. No. But yeah, you just, play, you just play like Lemon Lime. You throw this down you get your carefree surfer you just draw cards like it's it seems pretty good so so far to me like i said i don't have an incredible amount of experience playing aggro at the moment mm -hmm. but i would assume you just kind of auto slot this in so thumbs up? I, i'm assuming thumbs up yeah of course okay yeah. so okay <laughs> I'm, oh no oh no i'm giving it <laughs> yeah it's, it's no it's <laughs> 
Double thumbs down. I had Moyen on my on my Lorcana YouTube channel and we were reviewing these cards and he said, well, the card says it all. It says zero to hero. You should just use the first word. He gave it a zero after. Wow. I don't know though. Like, I mean, so, so let's talk over the advantages of it, right? The obvious thing is it's a song, which is huge yeah. actually for um, Ariel. Mm -hmm. The huge issue of this card is that it's uninkable. It's just not worth the risk. If this card was inkable, I actually think it would be really good. Yeah. And the reason for that is, is that um, including an inkable song, such as like Hakuna Matata we're seeing some players include, you like virtually never play that card, right? It's just ink fodder. Um, and it's improving the odds of your aerial, like giving you card draw and then you can ink it. So if Zero to Hero was inkable, it would actually be a pretty serious card because it's going to be like a card you're usually inking, but then has like that one in five, one in 10 games where it's actually doing something for you. The problem is as an uninkable card, it's, its ability is just going to be offering you very little way too often. It's, it's very clunky, right? And then you're just going to end up with this card in your hand, which is doing nothing. And that is a really big problem in Lorcana because the card draw is so limited, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I still think it's better than than you guys think, honestly. Just just I mainly because it's mainly because it's a song, and I'm kind of comparing this to Just in Time, right? Because obviously, Just in Time is the the three cast on Inkable. Yes, you can get a five out, but I think because you can sing this, and then maybe you can kind of get some pretty big discount. I I, I genuinely think that this card is probably better than you guys think. I think that's actually fair. we'll we'll return to it. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> I think so, it's fair. We yeah. we. Uh... The reason why I picked on you to bully, kind of bully you on this one, is because, uh, <laughs> I mean, in in like paper TCGs, like there's cards like this that have existed for a long time, mm. and we like to call them magical Christmas land because if you look at the conditions to where you actually get enough value out of this card for it to be playable in your deck, it's like it doesn't really happen, and if it does happen, you're already winning that game because you have to be like kind of winning on yeah. board already, like, and you have to have the big the big thing to to sort of cheat out anyway. It's mm. like those conditions are relatively unlikely and then you also incur the cost of a non-inkable card it's like uh it's just it doesn't really compete but like like especially said if it was inkable you probably just play it for more ariel hits that are cheap um because yeah. that's that's what's one of the things that makes ariel so powerful but uh i think like the upside of this card is a lot higher potential upside when you like one in ten whatever it is games like it could actually be really good right but it's just not worth the risk when it's unlinkable because nine out of ten times it's going to be absolute pants. Like if you've got this card in your hand, you're mulliganing it every single time and then you draw it and you feel bad. And the other thing is to remember with these uninkable cards is there's so many good uninkable cards that like it you need the uninkable card to be really, really good to justify it, right? And mm -hmm. this one I just think is short of that, unfortunately. Yeah, which we might have time to quickly gloss over, but we'll go over some, uh, you know, f like I said, mentioned Frank Carson does like a lot of the math for Magic decks, did the hypergeometric like calculation on exactly how many uninkable cards you should be doing to have like a reasonable on a probability, which is like 90, you know, 70% on a, you know, if you miss it, you can survive and 98% reliability. If you miss it, you lose the game kind of uh, scenario. But going on to the next one, we have Elsa. Uh, let me find it here because I have it on there. We have Elsa Gloves Off. This is a 3-4 in Amethyst. Four cost. Can be inked. Storyborn. Queen. Hero. Sorcerer. Challenger. Plus three. Which means while challenging, this character gets plus three attack. And quest for one. Um, this card's really interesting because there actually is a four cost Elsa that already exists in Amethyst, I believe, Ooh. right? It's a three cost, right? Is it a three cost? There's a couple. I think there's a four. I think it's a four. No, you're a right. Then there's a oh, four as well. It just no, there's a four in Ruby. There's a four in Ruby, right? I think it's in Ruby. There's a three in Amethyst, which is the two three that when you top it, it right. can stop something from exerting. Mm -hmm. And then there's the four cost in Ruby, which is just, I don't think we've ever seen it because nobody plays the card. It's the four four. I think it's a four yeah. four or something. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, there is a four cost Elsa as well in Amethyst. And it's yeah. a four oh, four, which quests for one. It does nothing, so no one plays it. <laughs> which is funny, right? Because it's, uh, you know, this cost is, it's, it makes the same slot. It has this challenger aspect. But let's just compare it to that Elsa then. Um, do you think a card that is a three four with challenger three is better than the four four? Yes. Yeah. I agree. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I really don't think there's too much to say about this card past that. I mean, it's a shift target for the big Elsa, but I do think it is better than the current version of this sort of vanilla Elsa that we have. So I'll pop over. It's uh, Go also going to be one of those cards in the Disney Hundred Years promo. Yeah, thing. so it could, it could be something. Yeah, yeah. Thingy. Well, I, I'm just a pro wow. I actually never. I've seen the art of that Elsa card before on Amethyst the Forecast, and like, wow, I've just never seen that card ever in my life. Yeah, it's just yeah. <laughs> the other card, the other thing about this Elsa gloves off card, like, well, I actually think the stats are pretty solid. You've also got Jafar mm -hmm. in Amethyst, which is the card that's getting more attack based on how many cards you have in hand. Yeah, um, and Jafar on average is probably going to be better than Elsa. So, mm -hmm. but maybe in like different styles of decks, which aren't you know as greedy as Jafar. Like for example, the Amber Amethyst deck I keep mentioning. I can't play Jafar in that because my hand's empty most of the time. And actually, Elsa could be a nice thing to bridge the gap at the moment. It's only really Rapunzel players are four cost. Probably not going to be the card because I want like high questers, but it could maybe find a place because its stat line's pretty damn solid. Like six removal is also like that number we're talking about of dealing with like Tiana. So perhaps it's actually better than we're giving it credit for. Yeah. Yeah. It's also just another shift target. So maybe, maybe, it, you know, see mm -hmm. some play possibly. Yeah, but you got to consider when shifting as well that the more uh, resources you spend on the shift target, like the more cost you incur when shifting up to the mm. big Elsa. So it could be important in like against an aggro matchup where it's like, I need to draw this card or I will lose. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah. But ultimately you'll pay a higher cost. So next card is Merlin Shapeshifter, also an Amethyst, 1 5 body, 4 cost, can be inked, storyborn mentor, sorcerer, says Battle of Wits. Whenever one of your other characters is returned to your hand from play, this character gets plus 1 lore this turn and it quests for 1 lore. Um, I think a little bit hard to evaluate this in a vacuum. One thing I want to note is it does not work on, on cards like uh, the Mickey Sorceress or Dr. Facilier because those. Um, you know, when those triggers happen, those cards go to the banished zone and they go back to hand after that. So it does not work on this card. Wait, has that been clarified? Do we know that? Um, you sure? I don't know if it's officially been clarified. I saw it on Steadfast's video where they clarified it. So it could be like a little bit of bro science where somebody came in and was like, Yeah, okay. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I assumed Facilia and stuff was winning, uh, was working with it. But I guess cards like Befuddle, Mother Knows Best, like would do it. But like Befuddle was like the only one that has any synergy, right? Like if there's like some kind of one or two cost card which uh in amethyst for example which you could play and draw a card and then befuddle it back suddenly merlin has some synergy but i mean we're really waiting to see what other like bounce tools amethyst or yeah. or just that come in in this set because at the moment this card is absolute garbage mm -hmm. Yeah, and the self-bounce is what makes this particularly interesting for me, um, is the well, the potential development of cards that could allow you to bounce cards back to your hand, so effectively you lose tempo in order to do some sort of combo like this. Because currently in Lorcana, there's actually not a ways, there's basically no way to win the game outside of just like doing the normal combat stuff. There's the hyper control deck, but outside of that, it's like these, that all these decks are competing to win on board and to trade in combat in a sense. And yep. you know, like these archetypes that come from other card games, they can do things like bouncing cards back and forth and you know, doing these combos. Like they don't actually exist in this game quite yet. All right, next up is Winnie the Pooh, Honey Wizard. This is also in Amethyst. It's a five, five, uh, cost five, can be inked. Dreamboard Hero Sorcerer. 
vanilla character, five five body that quests for two. Um, obviously, a little bit of premonition here because we talked about this character in reference to uh, Cerberus in the current meta. But what are your thoughts on this overall? Because it does have that quest for two. Cerberus does quest for one. Um, you know, a lot of people say this is the best art in the set so far as well. Yep, I think the art looks sick. Um, definitely getting the 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 playmat for this alongside the the beast one that was leaked. Um, I mean, off the bat, looks looks fine. Uh, obviously, yeah, comparable to Cerberus, I guess you could say, kind of comparable to Beast has the plus one plus one instead of the, uh, you know, can interact with the with the item card. Don't know how much play it's gonna see. The the two lore can definitely mean something if you want to do some sort of kind of I don't know ag aggro amethyst specie. Maybe do you slot this into mm -hmm. your your just in time. He's, he's, oh, just in time. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Yeah. And I guess I'll, I'll just say as well, you know, if we see more cards coming out, you know, it does have the, the Sorcerer tag, which I think we've seen on a few cards, so that might be something in the future. We'll see. Mm. Yeah, this card's, like, going to be really, really good for budget players, I think. Like, mm. this card is close to being really solid. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of lacking a little bit, right? Like, it's just... It's also, if you look at the rarity, right? It's a common card. It's going to mm. be um widely available i'm not sure in the next set if one of the starter decks is an amethyst deck but if it is i'm sure there's going to be a bunch of these copy of, of these cards in that deck right so i think it's just going to be like a budget friendly card which is actually going to be solid uh but never like in the most optimized lists more slightly right mm -hmm. makes sense <clears throat> all right on to the next one we can go pretty quick with this one but it's just raya uh raya's in ruby warrior of kumandra five three body four cost can be inked um, quest for one, it's vanilla character. So it's actually identical to Scar, I believe. But it's only difference is it has princess tie, I guess. Yeah. Literally, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's it. lame. Yeah. Bad. <laughs> uh, by the way, funny enough, this is the key art of the set. Like Riot yeah. is the key mm -hmm. art of the set. So I don't know if we're gonna get like some crazy Riot on top of this, but really weird to use sure. three uh, as the marquee art. Um, you know, you know, my theory is I think they're bringing in newer Disney franchises to attract kids. That's actually. A, a possible to the to the younger generation right because like you've got all of these iconic disney characters but then you got riot which personally i didn't know i didn't watch it my girlfriend was like how dare you how have you not watched this? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't even know but, what it is to be honest no yeah, I don't but, know. But, but maybe you know there's like you know young kids that were like oh let me buy these like like pokemon right yeah. like, oh, let mm -hmm. me buy this because riot's on it so yeah. maybe my, they could have made it a bit better then <laughs> my guess yeah, my thesis with um Disney Larkana is it's actually a game marketed towards boomers than it is towards kids because it's, I mean, trading card games are just so expensive, first of all, uh, and True. just the the mechanics of them, like they're mostly, I mean, Disney itself is an IP that's actually not really made for the current generation. Um, obviously, kids watch it, you know, Disney Plus, all of that, but, you know, kids these days watch Mr. Beast and who can hold their hand on something for, you know, a hundred years or whatever before it falls off. They don't watch Disney anymore. I think it's us who went through this childhood of like VHS and like these really nostalgic characters through Robin Hood and all this where it's like now this I feel like we're the target market for Disney Lorcana, which is which is interesting because I think a lot of people looked at the IP and they're like, oh, finally a kid's like a kid's card game. And I think it's it's more trying to uh, go towards the older audience is trying to True, capture yeah. that essence. Um, anyway, on to the next one. Best card in the set. Uh, Bell, Hidden <laughs> Archer. This is an emerald card. 3-3, three, three, 5 cost, cannot be inked. Floodborne Hero Princess, Shift 3. A lot of princesses, by the way. So you can play 3 to play it on top of one of your characters named Bell. It says Thorny Arrows. Whenever this character is challenged, the challenging character's player discards all cards in their hand and then it quests for 3. All right. Talk to me about why this card is not as good as everybody thinks, Bessie. 
Uh, honestly, I think this card is probably as good as most people think, but the Smash does exist, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Steel's going to be playing a lot of Smash. Uh, also, like, Emerald already has, like, Cheshire Cat and Flynn, which are, like, pretty passive. I do think this card's a belter, though. Uh, just in Time is just calling me. My Emerald <laughs> and Amber, Just in Time. I, I love Just in Time, if you can't tell. Uh, like, this card down on turn three, huge threat, right? Like, what are you going to do with it? If you can't answer it with something like a... Uh, a smash, you're going to be in trouble, right? So uh, I do think the card is honestly pretty damn good. Why do you not think it's as good as everyone? Um, I just think that so the conditions where the opponent discards their hand is it's okay. I think against a lot of decks in the meta, they could actually play around that. So let's say we're not shifting this on turn three. On turn three, this is a very powerful card, but it's uninkable. And yeah. there's going to be a reality where you play this on turn five. On turn five, your opponent can dump their hand. Like they can have no cards in hand yeah. and they can challenge into this. Obviously, you're constraining them to an extent. So there is some sort of effect that's going on. But ultimately, I don't see you taking multiple cards out of your opponent's hand unless you're playing against control. I think if you're playing control, this card is annoying. But you also have access to more spot removal in the form of dragon fire, and then be prepared once you get to your higher top end. This getting shifted on three, very annoying, right? Because you can't Rafiki this. Like you absolutely can't Rafiki this. You'd be in a, yeah, be in a lot no. of trouble. So I think this is more of an anti-control card. Um, that being said, you know, into the current meta, so into Amber Steel. I think Amber Steel just has a lot of answers. So like, even if you play this. On turn three, let's say Amber Steel's on the play. Amber Steel played Tinkerbell on the play. And then turn four, they play um, they play the Shift Tank, and then they sing Grab Your Swords or something, which you're still getting a lot of value out of this character, by the way. Uh, but ultimately, you're paying two for one on Bell because you're shifting in on top of another Bell. And then it's kind of cleared by a standard game plan that Amber Steel's enacting anyway. Um, I think you still get value. I think you come out pretty reasonable in that exchange, and they have to have the right cards. But... There's a lot of answers to Bell right now. There's a lot of answers. And part of the answer is you just dump your hand, right? And there's a lot of decks in the meta that want to do that. There's that, there's honestly, it's more the example that a deck wants to dump its hand than the exception. The exception is actually the control decks that try to keep mm -hmm. larger hand sizes. So that's kind of my, yeah. my opinion. Yeah. I really do think just in time is the key to this. Yeah. Like you've already got Kuzco. Uh, a lot of people are really hot and mad hatter, but it's actually not a card I'm a massive fan of. Like yeah. this is just like a much, much more threatening card than Mad Hatter because if you can't like deal three damage to it you have to answer it early on you can't just let it keep questing for three mm. um, and therefore like your hand is if you're if you have to challenge this and discard your whole hand that early on wow yeah I'm wow, just wow, wow. I'm just thinking about you're definitely making some deals with the devil if you're playing just in time Bell plus oh plus I'm risking it all dude oh Kuzco. mate but it's like you say though the mulligan is so powerful in this game right yeah. like if you have a super greedy deck you just have to be maybe less greedy of your mulligan right yeah perhaps but yeah I I I run four just in times mate it, I'm an absolute animal and there's yeah. some games you have three of them in your hand and you question your life choices but uh, yeah, basically echoing what what I think both of you guys said. Uh, I feel like you're a yeah, fan of Amber. It, you're a fan of Emerald, though, to an extent. Like, oh no, Ra Ra Raven has turned me to Emerald. Honestly, it's it's the Cuscos, it's the Flynns, it's the Cheshire Cat, uh, and then it's the whole new world against the control matchup that you can kind of just like flip it with. So I think like it, Ra Raven's deck, which again we will most definitely talk about very very soon. Um, you probably just slot this in. Um. There's no other bell, right? And what 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 are the bells that we have? There's one in the sapphire that costs three. Yeah. Yeah. There's the engineer bell, and then there's the actual bell. So you know, hopefully, maybe some more bells get printed. Maybe even even one other bell gets printed. But uh, yeah, I think it's 
I do think I do want to agree with Brendan that people overhyped the shit out of this card when they saw it. Like immediately, they were like, "Oh my god, this is busted!" Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, it just, is very good though. It's good. It's good. But I mean, like like we're saying, if 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 it's against Steel, yeah. like Brendan was the saying, the fact that it overshadowed Cinderella thing. was just hilarious to me because I'm like, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> These cards yeah. are actually like Bell's a good card. Don't get me wrong, but they're mm. they're in a different league. They're in a different league because mm. that's Cinderella is. I don't know. Insane. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's the thing, right? If Steel continues to be super popular, Bell's not going to be as good. But mm. into most other matchups, Bell's looking particularly dangerous because it's only really Smash and Tinkerbell, Grab Your Sword, which can deal with this sufficiently at the moment. Yeah, against that, against the control. If you're doing the aggro matchup, the Lemon Lime against the Ruby Amethyst, I think Bell's actually. Pretty good, yeah. Um, playing control against this is really annoying, um, to be yeah. honest. Like, you're committing a Dragonfire to trade even on the five cost with you, because Dragonfire dragon mm -hmm. costs five. If they shift it on turn three, like, you're just like... <laughs> what do I do? You yeah. you lose six, like, you uh, you lose three lore if you have the perfect curve. And, like, that's just... Oh, it's it's a lot to be losing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. On to the last one. This is the Sorcerer's Spellbook. Um, it is an item in Amethyst. It costs three, cannot be inked. And it says knowledge. Tap and pay one resource, gain one lore. So I think a lot of people are also looking at this card as being broken. Like they think this card is nuts because fundamentally items in Lorcana are not very interactable. You really just only have beasts to sort of disrupt what people are doing. And I think a lot of people have played the Ruby Amethyst uh, mirror and they've seen how crazy a card could, like this could be. I have my thoughts on why that might not be correct. And I, have a, I think I have an example to point to, but I want to get y'all's thoughts on the Sorcerer's Spellbook. Uh, I mean, yeah, instantly that's what my that's what my mind went to as well. Was that you've got the mirror match? This seems insane. You just play it down, but uh, I mean that's what we're looking at it right now, mm -hmm. right? Like I don't I don't think it's gonna be Ruby Amethyst. Would you play this in Ruby Amethyst here. right now in the list? Would you slot it in? I might play one. Okay. Yeah, I I don't think you go like full sand and play loads because there is so many items and you're already doing so much. But I think I think one in the list right now could. Could be decent, right? Like just just hopping for one lore can be kind of impactful. We I've I've played a few games against you where even like uh, you know playing Aladdin against you, uh, you know losing one lore can can often be the time uh, can often uh, be the thing that loses you the game, right? You know what I mean? So like maybe just hopping for one with that deck that you you probably often have a spare ink. This could be good. I actually think this card could be good in uh, the Amethyst Sapphire deck because you have a lot of spare ink in that deck. Yes, you're doing fishbowl quill quill stuff. But the problem with that deck is it's very slow. You get a lot of big like threats out uh, early, uh, not not early, should I say? Well, I guess I guess early, but like a lot of big threats that um, if your opponent can interact with them, it's fine. But it's just kind of you know like say like a big Triton or a big Ursula or whatever. You're kind of slowly questing for three. I, I think this could be quite good in that list. But yeah, the the Ruby Amethyst maybe slot one in. Why do you think it's not? I, I'm assuming oh, you think get, it's get, not insane. Let's, well, yeah. let's get spicy first. My prediction is like Brendan's opinion on why it's not that good is because it's uninkable, right? Like it's another one of these things that's so clunky, right? Like it's gonna be good sometimes, sure, but then like nine out of ten times when it's not the card you want and you can't get rid of it, like it's just stuck in your hand, right? Uh, the other thing is like you're paying three, and then you're also like it's not like you're just able to tap it every time for free. You're still having to invest further resources. Uh, I, I think the fact that it's uninkable is the biggest problem. We can also compare this card to like Eye of the Fates, which is a Sapphire <laughs> card. The card already kind of um, exists. That's, that's the point. Yeah. So Sapphire has Eye of the Fates, which is a four cost inkable, and you don't have to spend with it. But what you have to do is you can give one of your characters like more lore this turn. Um, and it's a pretty interesting card. It's one that I actually think is pretty damn good 
because of the fact that it's inkable. But even that feels a little bit clunky, right? You're often just inking it in my experience. But um, the fact you can't ink this, I, I think just completely kills the card. I'm not interested it, in, in this. In the, in the control matchup as well, like when I, my experience of playing it so far is I've, I've had a lot of uninkable cards in my hand and it mm -hmm. gets quite frustrating quite fast because you've got those dragon fires, those be prepared. That's what you're just holding in your hand yeah. the whole time. And you're, you're top decking your cards to ink them. It's like, man, this sucks, honestly. Yeah, if you were to play one of these, I agree with you, it would be like a one-off, right? Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. so, but I think even then, I think there's got to be something better. Yeah. Um. So Eye of the Fates is it's a different card. Um. And this is maybe more powerful than it if it hits the board. But yeah, I mean, what a lot of people I think didn't didn't take into account is the card kind of already exists in the form of Eye of the Fates when they first evaluated it. Also, look at the hyper control list. Look at Amber Amethyst. Like that that list is tight, and that list runs tons of uninkables. It also runs Magic Mirror uninkable. It has to. It runs the Ursula's Cauldron uninkable, and then it also runs Ra uh, Rabbit's Pocket Watch, which is an important card. Yeah. How are you fitting this in? <laughs> is this card yeah. better than Magic Mirror? Is it better than Ursula's Cauldron? Is it better than ba Rabbit's Pocket Watch? It's like majority of the time, probably not. But I do think yep, it's good. I think. I think I think it will see play. It will definitely see see play for sure. It's just like how good it's gonna be. I think it'll be like a fine card. Maybe it won't be as good as people think, but I do not think it's broken in any sense. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, that concludes all the spoilers. We're not gonna have time to go over the the Frank Karsten math uh, this week, so we'll do it next week. But it's really interesting, especially in the context of Spessy, the the card gaming gremlin who's running all the uninkables just in timing. <laughs> turn three. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. The, the Chavez enthusiast from Marvel <laughs> Snap, the one that will always stay Chavez insane. So yeah. Hey. Hey, he's right. I've been he's, proven he's, right. He's, he's right about problem. that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But yeah, Spessy, I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast and being so generous with your time um, this week. I want to give you a chance to shout out sort of any of your socials, what you're doing in Lorcana, where to find you, etc. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure and I'm sure I'll, I'll pop back around in the future. Like having a Lorcana podcast of my own is something I'm definitely looking into as well. Uh, so at the moment, I just set up a new fresh Lorcana YouTube channel, which no one knows about. So you can go sub there, like it'll be in the description. If you search Spessy Lorcana, you probably won't find it. But good luck. Maybe you can find like my Marvel Snap channel, Spessy Snap, and then you'll see it like in the recommended channels, right? So yeah, I'm doing that. I also have been streaming a lot of Lorcana on Twitch. So my Twitch channel is twitch.tv forward slash specimen. Um, might be streaming another card game, but I am streaming an awful lot of Lorcana. I'm probably going to go for like a top 10 push on Pixelborn mm -hmm. just so I can start putting that in my YouTube titles. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's doable, so we'll see. Yeah, yeah, you should go for that top one push. I think it's only 18,000 points. <laughs> yeah, maybe not top one. Top 10 seems good. Yeah. Top 10 seems good. Yeah, but definitely uh, definitely check Spessy out. Great card game player and obviously awesome insights on the podcast. Um, for anybody listening, if you want to support the podcast, you can leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It's the number one thing you do to help us out. Obviously, like and subscribe if you can. We're slowly growing the channel, putting out some deck techs um, and obviously the weekly pod at that. We're all on Twitter. I'm at BrendanAPG. Spessy is at It's Specimen and Kala's at Kalatech underscore cg and yeah thank you all so much for listening we'll see you next week